John chapter 14, verse 31, and then we'll read into chapter 15 down to verse 12. I'm going to just jump into the middle or actually the last phrase. I want you to hear what the Savior says to his disciples as they conclude the time around the table there in the upper room. The last words of chapter 14, the Savior says to his disciples, Arise, let us go hence. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Amen. We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord again. We'll bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to think primarily on those words of verse 1 where the Lord says, I am the true vine. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and to take his word and bring it to our hearts. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will allow us a time with yourself in the word. We pray that you will anoint it with the Spirit's blessing and working. We pray that thou will open our hearts that we might receive that which is held forth from your hand. We pray that thou would give us ears to hear. Lord, we ask, O God, that thou will speak to us. Lord, again, I pray that thou will overrule that which has to do with men. Lord, whether it is our own notions, our thoughts, or Lord, our varied inadequacies to speak the word as it ought to be spoken. Lord, we pray that you will bless now. Jesus. 
We pray in his precious name and for his sake. Amen. As we noted, our reading this morning began with those words at the end of chapter 14. Arise, let us go hence. I would suggest that this is the invitation of the Lord Jesus to the 11 remaining disciples to leave the table around which they were seated and make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The scriptures tell us that they first sang an hymn and then they went out. That is found in Matthew chapter 26. We might ask ourselves, were the words that we read here in chapter 15 spoken as they walked? Some think not. But I say it's probable. As they go, the Lord has time to look on his followers, some of whom emphatically said that they would die for him. Well, he looks on them, on his own, and as the scripture says in John 13, verse 1, it says, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. I would suggest to you that we have in John chapter followers. As one who loved those that followed him, he was continuous in instructing them right up to the very last where he admonished them there in the garden, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Among his words, the Lord Jesus makes the statement of our text that he is the true vine. Now, whether the Lord Jesus saw a vine as the disciples and he were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane is impossible to know. Some speculate so. Others say that the reference has something to do with the supper that they had just left. Some scholars point out that Israel was frequently referred to in the Old Testament as a vine. Psalm 80 speaks of that vine. The vine that the Lord Jesus uh, would say um, was the vine that the Lord brought out of Egypt. Maybe Psalm 80 had something to do with the hymn that they sang before they left the upper room. In fact, I would invite you to do Psalm 80 and see if the words that you see there could possibly have anything that would do with the Lord's going to Calvary. I think there's, I was looking at that this morning, I thought there's some remarkable similarities. There are those also who would point to Jeremiah chapter 2 where it speaks of Israel as a vine that had become strange and corrupt. Hosea chapter 10 verse 1 speaks of Israel as an empty vine, void of fruit. Well, the comparison of the Lord to uh, the words of these uh, texts where Israel is compared to the vine um, may make it so that you would have the Lord comparing himself to the religiosity of the Jews that may well be in view 
And I think the disciples would have quickly picked that up. However, the statement is not just meant to be a comparison, but it is an important truth that must be considered. G. Campbell Morgan, a very well-known Bible commentator, interprets the language of our text as follows. Rather than saying, I am the true vine, he says that it might be better said, I am the vine, the true. I am the vine, comma, the true. Now this may seem somewhat unimportant, unimportant linguistic technicality, for the reading of, uh, that we have in our Bible is very aptly put. But there is a shade of a difference that makes the meaning of the Lord's words easier to grasp. In other words, here is not just any vine, but the true. What he is saying is this. Further, why must we understand the importance of what the Lord Jesus is saying? Well, I think we'll comment on that in just a moment. The Lord Jesus is saying to those who say they, they are his followers that there cannot be just words that bind them to him or even brave acts such as willingness to lay down their lives without being one with him. Oh, let us think. Without being one with him, there is no life and there is no service at all. Are these words telling us that we must consider whether we see signs that we are one with him? Let me ask that again. Are the Lord's words telling us that we must consider whether we see signs in ourselves that we are one with him? Well, I would say yes. There is a sense in which this passage calls us to reflect on that which we see within. This is a very needful thing. But the fact that the Lord Jesus begins with these words suggests that the greater point is to consider the Lord Jesus. Think of him. Think of him. Consider what it means to be one with him. Now my subject this morning is simply this. That our being one with the Lord Jesus is the reason, the cause, and the way in which we are able to live for and fulfill the great reason why we are saved by grace. Oneness with Christ. I want us to consider the Lord Jesus as he describes himself. And I want you to think with me then on the words of verse 1. I am the vine, the true. And I want to answer the question, what is this saying? Now, I will confess right at the beginning, there's probably a much easier way for me to formulate my points or make my headings on my points. But to keep it in line with what was said and the title that we have and the interpretation that we noted by uh, G. Campbell Morgan, I'm going to put my points in a somewhat irregular way, but I think you'll be able to follow with me. My first point I want you to see is this, that the Lord Jesus, when he says, I am the vine, the true, it might be as if he is saying, I am the vine, the real. I am the vine, the real. And I say, here's a statement not only of comparison, but also of assurance. The Lord may have in mind the previous reference in Scripture, 
of Israel to a vine. But it's very possible that the point that he is making here is akin to the point that was made in John chapter 10. Where the Lord says that all that ever came before him were thieves and robbers. They were false. They were not real. They were those who in word only said that they were leaders among my people. But I am the real. Now it is certain that the practices and the teachings of the Jews had to be seen as leaven that would leaven the whole lump. The ways of religion that was seen before Christ was utter hypocrisy. The center of such religion was man and man's judgment of himself. But the vine that is true is the vine that brings us to the perfect way. He is the truth and the life. He said that earlier. He is the way to the Father. There is nothing wanting in him. All that he is pleases the Father entirely. And the product of that pleasure is that he brings to his own eternal life. He is the real way. Further, there is nothing in his words. But what this is the real situation of men before God. He brings all that the Father tells him and lays it before those that have ears to hear. You know, perhaps... We might even see this passage or this statement here in John chapter 15 as an echo of what was said and heard in John chapter 6, where the Lord also talked about oneness with him. In that instance, the picture of oneness was the taking in of the body and blood of the Lord, as one would take food that would become a part of the body itself. It was in that place that the words were also heard, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So here's my point. The Lord Jesus is the real, the only way to God. If you're going to come to God, the only way is if you are one with Christ. There's no other way. It's not knowing about the Lord Jesus. It's not becoming a part of some body that claims to be the followers of Christ. It's none of that. Your being saved is your being made one with Jesus Christ. He must be in your heart. Faith must be real. But faith that is not trusting in itself, but trusting in Him. You're looking to Him. Now the work of making us one with Himself. How did that happen? Where did that, where did that begin? Where was it that you and I were made one with the Lord Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, it was at the cross. In that time when he took our sins upon himself, he took all that had to do with the pollution of our hearts and the offenses that were in our catalog against God. He took them upon his own self and he bore the punishment and he bore the pain for it all. But then he put us by the power of the Spirit of God in union with himself, so that you and I now, as we are memorizing, wear the righteousness of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for you to be more righteous in the sight of God tomorrow than you are today? Is it possible that you can make yourself better or more pleasing to God? Is it possible that you could clean yourself up and make yourself more attractive to the divine eyes? 
Is there some duty or some way in which you might live before God that would make you to be more pleasing in the sight of God than you are today? Well, do you know the answer to that? I'm going to tell you the world is... The world and the many of the religions of this world is going to say, absolutely, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. No, sir. We say, well, why not? Well, the reason is this. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you wear his righteousness. There is nothing that can be made brighter or whiter or cleaner or more pleasing to God than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is yours, child of God, if you are in Christ. And by the way, if you don't have that righteousness, you have no hope of everlasting life. Because God will demand from you a righteousness that is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The only way that that ever comes to any of us is that the Lord Jesus brings us into union with himself and his righteousness becomes our own. I was going to stop at this point and I'm not going to. And make a reference as to a particular ordinance of the Christian church that this particular one doctrine affects and tells you why this is appropriate and this is not. But I'm not going to do that. I'll leave that for another time. Maybe some of you can guess where I that one. If you don't know, I'll tell you afterwards where we're going to leave it alone. Last week, we considered the discussion that the Lord Jesus had with Nicodemus. You remember? In that discussion... The Lord tells Nicodemus very plainly, you must be born again. Nicodemus being, as I mentioned last week, perhaps the foremost teacher among the Jews in that day, uh, asks the Lord, how can it be? And the Lord says, well, what do you mean? You've known all these things from the scripture. You teach the scriptures. You're one who is in the scriptures every day, and yet you don't know what this means. I'm going to suggest to you that the subject, the bottom line of that statement to the, of the Lord to Nicodemus is very much akin to what we're talking about here. You must be one with me. You must have a transformation in you that is so full and so complete that it makes you to be that which is one with yourself. You must be united to the body of the Lord Jesus. Again, I want us just to say under this heading, this, this particular point, what is being stressed here, what I'm trying to relay to you is simply this, that the Lord is saying to his followers that he is the real way to God. You might ask, why did the Lord stress this? Why was it that the Lord presented this particular truth at this particular time? You say, well, it's just as an extension of what took place in the upper room. Now, let's move beyond that. Why would the Lord have said these words, this particular point of examination within themselves, this part that deals with himself as the one to whom they must be united, why would the Lord have brought this to the fore at this moment as they were making their way to the garden where he would be shortly arrested and they would shortly be scattered? I think in some ways it's because the Lord knew that they would be asking the same minds and hearts that John the Baptist asked as he stood in Herod's prison. When he sends his disciples off to the Lord Jesus are you the one that we've been waiting for or do we look for somebody else? And of course the Lord Jesus gives the answer go tell John 
Go tell John that you've seen the power of God. Go tell John that you've seen lives changed. Go, go, go tell John that you have heard the gospel preached to the poor. The reason I think the Lord Jesus brings these men to this point is because they were going to be facing a moment that was not unlike the one that John. They were looking at danger. They were looking at possible death, perhaps, as the crowds came to them. Was Christ real? Is he real? Is what we've been believing really? Seen the miracles. Is he the true one? I think. There again you see the fulfillment having loved his own. He loved them unto the end. He knew that this would be a question that would be needing an answer. I will also tell you this. There's going to be days when you and I are going to face the same kind of question. I don't know if we're going to end up having to stand before men where they would call for us to deny Christ. You know, the world's getting a whole lot more like it might be looking, that that would be something that we'll see. It's not a, a pleasant thing to think about. And sometimes we put that back in the back parts of our mind. But the day may be coming when that will be true. It also may be this. You and I don't know how much longer we have before we're going to lay on that hospital bed. And we have the doctor come alongside and take the hand and look at us and our loved ones together there and say, I'm afraid this is, this is not going to be, this is not going to be good. What do you think then? What do you need then? What question do you need to have answered about Jesus Christ in that moment? He's the true vine. He is real. He is. He is what he says he is. You need that, don't you? Well, if you say, well, I'm not sure. Well, you will. I'm telling you up front. You will. He is the vine. The re- I want you to see secondly with me this. I think this statement is this. I am the vine. The perfect. I am the vine. The perfect. There is nothing that will be found in the Lord Jesus that is wanting. Oh, child of God. What a wonderful exercise it would be for our hearts and minds. Should we take it in ourselves to investigate? I wonder if there's anything that I could find wanting in the Lord Jesus. Let me go look. And as you continue to look, what will you find? No. I want for nothing in this way. I want nothing in that way. It would do good for your heart to do that. He is perfect. He is the vine that supplies to those that are one with him all that they ever will need. Again, I say that here's a picture that teaches us that all the fullness of God flows through the vine to the branches. We will not want, oh, I underscore this, we will not want for the sap of God's grace. Now, I propose to make a very practical point at this juncture. 
I want you to understand when I say that he is the vine, the perfect, I want you to see that I am ruling out some things that are imperfect. First, I will warn you, I admonish you, I seek to instruct you as I do myself when I say these things, trying to find the answers to the needs of our hearts by fulfilling the law or more particularly because we don't go there in our minds but here's the point by doing the do's and don'ts and you know what I'm talking about our lives are filled the Christian principalized lifestyle is filled with do's and don'ts you're doing the do's and don'ts will never allow a man to be satisfied with himself I say that from personal experience but I say that as a matter of just plain fact the Pharisees acted as if it was so there are many that call themselves Christians that acted as if this is so but the Lord Jesus points to those that were like that in that day and says that they were filled with all kinds of malice and bitterness in fact he says you're just filled with a bunch of dead men's bones you know doing Doing all the things that perhaps we in our minds think, well, God would have me do this, God would have me to do that, and therefore if I do all those things, God is going to be very happy with me. You know, that particular point was the scourge that whipped the back of Martin Luther. Luther was not at all satisfied by telling or being told, well, just do certain religious exploits. Luther found that the more he did them, the more they cast him into a deeper and deeper despair because he could still see his own sinfulness in the doing of these things. There's a lesson there. Our simply being what we esteem Christians to be is not enough to bring satisfaction to our hearts. Our satisfaction is not in us. That's point number one. Number two is simply this. Any heart to consider your own worthiness of God's favor or the lack of worthiness will leave you utterly defeated. You say, can you give me an example? Yeah. It's likely the case that a certain disciple who when he thought on his cowardness went out and wept bitterly. You know who I'm talking about. He looked at himself, and what did he see? There wasn't anything there but would cause tears and weeping, bitterness of heart. And I will suggest to you that this certain disciple had a hard time recovering from that failure. That'll be true for you, too. If, all you, if your mind and your heart is set upon yourself, if all you're doing is considering you, you will find it's a defeating time. As I was thinking on this, my mind went back to that um, quote from David Dixon who died in 1663 he was a, a Scottish preacher and commentator his dying words as he considered himself considered his own worth and the things that perhaps he would commend himself for uh, Dixon makes this comment to those that would hear as he lay in his deathbed he says this I have taken 
all my good deeds and all my bad and have cast them in a heap before the Lord and fled from them both and have betaken myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and in him I have sweet peace. Everything that has to do with us will leave us with no assurance. It will leave us with no satisfaction. It will leave us with no confidence and no power. It is when our minds and our hearts are set upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one. John chapter 15 verse 11, the Lord makes a statement. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The Lord tells us that joy comes as well as perfect assurance. When the Lord Jesus is believed and when he is adored by those in him. So I suggest to you that these words that the Lord Jesus speaks are words to his disciples that the only way to get through a night and the days ahead was for them to consider Christ. He was the vine, the perfect. Well, the problem was the disciples did not consider that. They did not remember the Lord Jesus. They looked at themselves quite in a, uh, the opposite of what we're talking about here. And because of that, they hid themselves. I will suggest another meaning here that when the Lord says, I am the vine, the true, it is as he is saying, I am the vine, the satisfying. I am the vine, the satisfying. You know, the chief value of a vine is its fruit. Little else about the vine is of any value. The vine without fruit is particularly unsightly, and quite frankly, the vine, apart from the fruit, has no purpose. But when there is fruit, it is a sweet enjoyment. And the fruit is useful in many ways. Now the point I'm trying to stress is simply this. The credit, and I want you to think with me, if you can think of it in terms like this. The credit for the fruitfulness has nothing to do with the branch. The branch is where the fruit is to be seen. But the branch is not the cause of the fruit. Satisfaction that produces the joy and assurance of heart comes from that which comes through the vine and finds its way out by the fruit coming forth. As we were looking a moment ago at verse 11, I want us just to think about the key to what the Lord was saying there. The key to verse 11. He says, the joy... The joy. I want you to see with me the joy is not the joy of the branches making or in the uh, making fruit or in the assessment of the branch. The Lord Jesus says that he intends for us to know his joy. Doesn't it say that? I thought I read it. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Well, we have to ask, what is that? What is the joy of the Lord Jesus and how is it seen? Well, he said, my joy in you, the sweetness 
that produces the joy that is of the heart of Christ, that's like Christ, is the sweetness that comes from walking with the Lord and knowing what he gives in grace and blessing. Now, I'm going to step back and say, I cannot tell you all the wondrous things that the Lord has prepared for those that are in Christ. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man. You and I don't know what the sweetness of the fellowship of Christ is, but it is, and as we walk with the Lord, we find that that sweetness is revealed, it's revealing itself in so many new ways, that each day we have to say, thy mercies are new to me every morning. Joy is knowing Christ and drawing from Christ as the branch draws from the vine. You know, in in the book of Nehemiah, there's an interesting statement that Nehemiah makes um, to the people in chapter 8. He says, Eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, but here's a statement, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, the joy that comes from the Lord, the joy that's in the Lord, the joy that comes from you knowing the Lord, walking with the Lord, experiencing Him. The way of joy is the Lord Himself. There's the point. You might say to me, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about this joy. Well, I would ask again, are you in Christ? Are you walking with Christ? Do you have any time with the Lord? That's the way. The Lord is the joy. Well, I've got one last, last thought and I'll be done. I think this statement is saying, I am the vine, the help. I am the vine, the help. How do we bear fruit? Well, you, can, you can take this. Let's just ask this. How do you bear fruit? And I'm surprised that you would possibly hear today answers like, well, just get busy at something. Get busy at something and you'll start seeing results. And You know, that's telling the branch, branch, get busy. You know, just just get out there and start bearing fruit. Well, the Lord puts that whole thought to rest in verse 5. Speaking as the vine, he says to the branches, For without me you can do nothing. The picture of this vine and branches is the answer to this question. The branch bears... Because it cannot but bear fruit. As you are with Christ, as you are centering your heart and mind on Christ, as you are walking with Christ, you won't be able to help but bear fruit. (coughs) That which comes up through the vine to the branches causes fruit to come out. So we might ask the question, well, how do I serve Christ? 
We could also ask the question, how do I bear up under affliction? How do I endure the pruning of God? How do I have a heart that holds to Christ and at the same time gives out of Christ? How does all this happen? The point that the Lord Jesus is making here is really simple. You draw from the vine. You draw from the vine. The Lord helps. The Lord works. The Lord adds. The Lord blesses. The Lord speaks. The Lord prunes. The Lord does all the works that's needed in me that I might be fruitful for him. If I am not seeing fruit, it's because the work that causes the fruit to come forth is not being done. That is a very grave warning to us. The Lord produces the fruit to us. Well, I'm not saying that we should never give ourselves to seeking to be fruitful for the Lord. You know, sometimes we think of fruitfulness as only being one thing, and that's evangelism. And that's, not, that's, a, that's a big part, but that's not all the extent of what we're talking about here. How do you reflect Christ? How do you find victory over sin? How do you put away things? How do you enable your mind to uh, concentrate on the things of God, these things that make you godly? These things that answer questions that arise in you. How does this all happen? You draw from the vine. You go to Christ. You seek Christ. You walk with Christ. You learn of him. Peter puts it this way. Peter, of all those that should make this statement, I think Peter is perhaps the most appropriate and most uh, notable. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You grow because you draw from the vine. The Lord helps. He is that way which we find ourselves doing what the will of the Father is. We find him. I am the vine, the true. I am the vine. You are the branches. Find in me what you need to bear fruit. Find in me what you need to live. Find in me what you have to have to endure. I am the source. I am the way. The truth. The life. I bring you to the Father. I guess the question comes back down to simply this. Are we trusting in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting in Christ? Have you cast all your hope on him? <coughs> Next question, are we drawing from Christ? There's a searching question. Most of us have to say, I wish I were more. Are we drawing? Are we meeting? Well, may the Lord allow his word to be that which causes us to hear and follow and find doing in us what this picture suggests is the way of the blessing of God. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that thou wouldst bless the word. We pray that you will use it within our hearts and our souls, that we would be those who are fruitful for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we find ourselves having to lament so much of the time that our fruit is small in its yield 
But Lord, we pray that you will have mercy, that you will allow there to be a river of the grace of our God that would flow even to this little congregation, that we would be a people who find ourselves going forward as those who are marked with the joy of our Savior and the help of our God. We pray that you will bless now this word. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you.